Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the show. Dallas here. Thank you for joining me. Now then, I've got a little bit of news, some good news and some bad news. The good news is that this is an absolutely cracking episode. It's an episode that I've been wanting to do really since we started the series, gosh, whenever it was, 18 months or so ago. I say that because it's a story about science and technology, of course, but it's science and technology as an example of wider culture. We tend to think of science and tech very often as something other, something that other people do. But this episode is a reminder that science and technology is a very human thing, as you'll find out. So enjoy the episode. I also think it's a very fitting final episode, which brings me to the bad news. This is the last episode of Patented, which makes me very, very sad. Certainly the last episode for the time being. And as such, I just very quickly want to say a few thank yous. First of all, thank you so much to Dan and everyone at History Hit for giving me this opportunity to do this series. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you to everybody who's taken part in this series, all the experts, the scientists, the engineers. Thank you for taking the time to share your stories. Thank you to Em and to Charlotte and to Freddie, the producers who do all the hard work, all the legwork, all the grunt work, who make my job very, very easy. Better producers you could not find. Producers and therapists. (laughs) Thank you for putting up with me for the last 18 months. Most of all, thank you for listening. Everybody who's listened, it's been an absolute honour. And I want to say thank you to everyone who's sent kind messages, who's got in touch with suggestions. We would not have been able to do it without you. So thank you very much. Don't forget, you can go back and look at all the other brilliant episodes that we've recorded. I'm sure there's a few that you've missed. We've done over 150 or so. Tell your friends and family all about it still. They'll be there for them and yourself to listen to. Uh, With that, well, I won't say goodbye, but maybe just a gentle au revoir. In 480 BC, Persian King Xerxes was busy invading Greece. Pontoon bridges were built to move the troops, but these carefully crafted bridges were soon destroyed by the ocean. Absolutely furious with this, King Xerxes ordered the sea to be whipped with 300 lashes as a punishment. In the Gourmet Night episode of Faulty Towers, hapless Basil Faulty is racing in his mini to pick up the duck dishes from Andre's restaurant in the town. And at the crucial moment, the old mini decides to break down. The furious Faulty shakes his fists in rage at the spiteful behaviour of his car before giving it a damn good thrashing with a tree branch. I think... There's a little bit of King Xerxes and Basil Fawlty in all of us. Hello and welcome to Patented, a podcast all about the history of inventions and technology from History Hit with me, Dallas Campbell. Um, We know what it's like 
when things are against us, the spiteful behaviour of everyday objects that makes our lives a misery. You know what I mean, the printer or the projector that won't connect, the spoon in the sink, which will cause a total inexplicable drenching when the tap is gently turned on, the Bluetooth device that refuses to connect, the keys that vanish on their own accord, the unfoldability of maps, the duvet cover that refuses to comply, the ice cube tray that's always empty in the freezer, the endless computer says no incidents that drive us to distraction. What's going on? This phenomenon is beautifully described by the English writer Paul Jennings in the late 1940s. He called it resistentialism, a humorous philosophy that describes the war between humans and things. It turns out the things are winning. Well, I've been a huge fan of Paul's for years, and sadly he's no longer with us, but Christy Jennings, his daughter, is. And she joins me now to discuss Paul's work, resistentialism, technology, invention, and why... Les choses sont contre nous. Welcome to the show, Christy Jennings. Nice to see you. Hey, um, before we kind of crack on with, with the subject, uh, uh, just a bit of housekeeping. You know, when you, if you Google Paul Jennings, there's another there's another Paul Jennings. I didn't I didn't I didn't know this. There is an Australian child's author. So, depending on the demographic you speak to, um, some people will think of, think that's who it is and say, "How can he possibly be your dad?" Um, so it's, that's not him. So when I but that's it when when I signal people to go and look up Paul Jennings, not yeah, that not Paul that Jennings. Paul Jennings. Yeah, because I was I was because I, I, I was thinking about googling just now. I was like, I didn't know he was Australian, and then I was like, I didn't know he was still alive. And then I was like, Ah, <laughs> tell us about your dad, your lovely dad, who I never met but have been a massive fan of all my yeah, adult well, life. It's I think one of the tragedies of life, really, that that um, we met after he died, and there were a few people in my life I'd say that about. So he died in nineteen eighty nine, and he was forty seven when I was born. So. Uh, you know, I had a very. Di- I think I have a very different relationship with him than I than the rest of my siblings. You know, because I'm the youngest of the lot. And uh, yeah, I mean, one-off, eccentric, quirky. They weren't. They don't make them like that anymore. That's for sure. They definitely don't. I mean, he was a he was a writer, but I suppose I mean, a, a columnist more than more than anything else. I mean, he he. he I, I certainly know him from his not even short stories, but little little kind of columns. I mean, he was really of his time, if you if you like. But the, I, I suppose he was probably the first columnist in in, the, in a newspaper. People of a certain age would have read him every Sunday because he was, I think, it was about twenty five years on the Observer, and it was the oddly enough column. And he was kind of the first person to do that sort of observe observist kind of work. You know, I'm going to write a piece about mowing the lawn, for example, and would would then go off into a kind of complete flight of fancy about his relationship with a lawnmower or, or, (laughs) you know, looking after some friend's cats in London and losing a mouse down a rabbit, that mouse hole, you know, all that stuff. He used to do all that sort of stuff. And, but, you know, he had to bang one out every, every um, week. So, 
you know, growing up in a household with someone, you know, with that kind of deadline, having to be that funny every week, quite, quite a pressure. It's hard work trying to be funny every it's, If he was around now, he would have, he would be having his own podcast and, and, and would be like trying to think of funny things to say in his podcast and things, he, funny things to talk about. Just before he died, weirdly, um, he, this is, he died in 1989, way before Twitter. One of his last ideas was to do a thing, a, a, I think it was 140 characters in the Times every day, which was Twitter. <laughs> really? Yeah. Was it, no, it wasn't 140. Yeah, he said, I just, Seriously. He came up with that in 1989. It's brilliant. Anyway, so that's Paul James. But, we, but very specifically, I want to talk about resistentialism, which I, which I, sort, of, I sort of mentioned. And I... The thing is about resistentialism as an idea, it's something we all recognise. We all know it. It's something that is hardwired into the human brain, this idea that spiteful behaviour of inanimate objects. And psychologists have written about it a lot, and scientists have written about it a lot, this idea of agency detection. And, and, and you know, where it comes from, I don't really know. But nobody has has expressed it quite as elegantly I would argue, as Paul Jennings. There's, I mean, there's other versions of it, I suppose, Sod's Law or Murphy's Law, those, those types of things. But resistentialism, it's so beautiful. It's so wonderfully thought out and the way it's expressed. And I just want to know, where, what was its origins? Do you know of the origins of it from him? Did he ever talk about it with you? Not about the resistential, it's resistentialism itself, but he really believed it. I mean, you know, he actually yeah. did. But, but I do as well. That's the thing why I'm so obsessed by it, because it's like it happens all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up in a household where you would be upstairs in the house and you would hear from the gun, Oh, Lord, I heard you. And he'd be, he'd be shouting at the lawnmower. And he'd be yeah. literally talking to the lawnmower and going, well, well done. You, you, you must be delighted with that. And I think, actually, in all seriousness, I think it was a sort of coping me- mechanism for how difficult life was. So that's where well, it comes I, from. The thing he is, kind of believed it. Well, this is the thing. We, it's, it's easy to kind of write it off as a bit of a sort of joke philosophy. But he writes it as a, as a joke. I mean, he writes it in the style of Jean-Paul Sartre, this rather pretentious French uh, new wave left bank kind of cult scene. And that's part of the fun of it. But behind it, there is this, there is this idea that, well, I mean, you, psychology, it's, it's throughout history, all humans, I think, suffer from this idea of things just going wrong. Give us a little idea, because there's a few different essays about it in his, in his work. And I, I, do you know, I, I'm not sure when, when it first appeared in in his writing. I, I think it was 48. I think it was in, in, the, in the Spectator. And, I'm, and I have to confess, I mean, there is, because he wrote from the age of 19, there is so much material. So actually I reread the report on Resistentialism yesterday just in preparation for this, and I thought, my goodness, <laughs> no wonder, <laughs> you know, the way that his mind works. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think it started pretty early on as, as, a, as a notion and an idea and that he developed it. And I think, you know, of its time, it was extremely, it's a very, it was a very well-known essay. How would you describe resistentialism? Uh, well, as he would, which is that things are absolutely against us. And it is, they have a mind of their own and they are spiteful. And uh, they decide to do it in order to make your life and your day more difficult, is how I would describe it. And there is an extension of that, which I've told you about, I think, about the AJO. Have I told you about that? Oh, yes, the anti-Jennings organisation, yeah. He totally believed, which was that if you were ever held up in traffic, 
So, for example, if there was a traffic jam and there was a tractor in front of you, he would say, yes, that he's a member of the AJO and how brilliant. And the whole premise of that idea was that everything that got in your way was set up to annoy. <laughs> yes. The traffic lights always turning red was, was kind of my dad's one. He's like, here they yeah. go, they're going to turn so red. So you go on holiday to France and, and you would be in the middle of nowhere and, so, and a man would be cycling the other way, you know, literally with onions around his neck and he'd say, he's a member, obviously. <laughs> A little bit like the Truman Show. Again, I think the, for, for people who've watched the Truman Show, this idea that one's whole life is some kind of soap opera for other people's and of course it's a enjoyment. Bit, it's about ego too, isn't it? Because it's all about everything is centred around me in order yeah. for my life to be difficult. <laughs> yeah. But there is, I, mean, I, I suppose the classic examples are things like toast always falling jam side down is a sort of classic one and, and I, when i read it I'll, there, there are millions and millions of examples pencils when dropped always rolling away just out of reach pens that you're desperately trying to find and you suddenly find a pen that you need to write down the important phone number will guarantee not to work etc cetera, etc cetera. these are these are all good examples and of course, liquid of any kind you know you you could have half a cup of tea and drop it on the floor and the liquid would be able to spread itself that was a great thing for him. Yeah. A classic of that is you put a spoon in the sink because you're washing up and you turn the tap on and, the sp- and you will get soaked. The water will just spray up like beyond any reasonable, like the laws of physics suddenly turn their head and look the other way every time. I, I, I mean, it's because it's, 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 your dad was sort of writing late 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s through to the 80s. That was his sort of, time period this is a podcast really about technology but sort of technology fits so beautifully i think into resistentialism and that first essay that he wrote which we think was the first essay the first published essay 1948 and i'm just thinking about what the technology was happening in 1948 technology was starting to get interesting and exciting kind of post-war things were happening rockets all kinds of things and i'm interested in what your dad's take on technology was was he a sort of technophobe was he kind of resistance as in the to technology was technology then part of the res- resistentialist no, I movement think he was as fascinated it were. by technology I, you know obviously i came along later so an example i would give you is this is one of my favorite stories about him actually is that um when i first moved to london in 1986 i think i think 1986 about when when answer phones first came into fashion if you remember yeah and uh i got an answer phone and the first, and I've, I've probably got the recording somewhere still, the first message I ever got on my aunt's phone was my dad saying, hello, darling, it's your dad. I'm talking to you and you can hear me, but you're not there. <laughs> how very strange. <laughs> so that's, that's how he thought. He yeah. would be looking at the world and saying, how has this happened? It's interesting because, you know, wherever you are in, wherever you are in the civilization, because presumably Romans would have had resistentialist moments when things would have just gone wrong. Presumably cavemen would have had the same thing when they were sort of trying to light a fire and their rock didn't work or I don't know, whatever, whatever it would be. And, I, I, and I, when I read your dad's work about resistentialism, I'm wondering how he would cope in the digital age. Because resistentialism, I would argue... The, the battle of things against humans has been won now in the digital age. It's gone so beyond annoying in terms of what, what's going on. It, it's, I, I mean, I think I would absolutely love to talk to him now. 
and see, yeah. because I think there'd be some things that utterly would horrify him beyond belief. And there would be other things that he'd be absolutely riveted and excited by and the, the notion. I mean, I've been, you know, Twitter, he would have been all over Twitter. You know, he would have. Yeah. He would have ruled. He would have liked it. But I was just, I was just thinking about annoying things in the digital age. You know, we live in a world of miracles, and yet, so for example, I mentioned, you know, printers are the sort of classic example. They sit in the, your room. You don't print that much, and the day you need a printer because you've got to print out the script or something important to thing, ink, it, it just won't work. It won't work. And I, there, are, there are videos of, on YouTube of people destroying printers in 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 rage. Classic. I've made a look. I've made a little list. Feel free to add to this. I mean, things like, you know, you're trying to fill out a form online and it'll say, please complete this field, but it'll be greyed out so you can't click on it. Classic. Let's show some account not recognised. We could not complete this transaction. Username or password not recognised. Ready to pair. Device not found. Action required. Things are against us. It's now exploded in the digital world. Um, the, the things have, have won the battle, I think. There's no question about it. We, it, was a, we were, it was a losing battle in 1948, but now we've had yes. it, right? Yeah, well, I re, your dad's kind of worried about, oh, things like, you know, pencils falling on the ground. That's nothing. Honestly, Paul, you haven't... Crikey, honestly, wait till you come into the 21st century. And this is the thing. Here we are talking about, like, AI and, like, chat GPT and all that kind of stuff. Let's get the printer sorted out first. Figure out how to sort, hook up a printer to a thing and then worry about AI. I spent a good percentage of my life turning up in venues, assorted venues, to give talks about things. And, I, 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 and, I, and I've got to the point now in my, in my advanced age that I, I do things like, okay, I make the presentation... I, I convert Keynote into PowerPoint pre-1997 so that it cannot fail to work. I then email whoever a copy of it, get them to check it, da, 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 da. and I go through various processes and I turn up in the day and I guarantee not once has it ever worked. Like You get like four people with PhDs gathered around a laptop and then they say, then they say helpfully, huh, that's strange, that doesn't normally happen. And that's when I go into the rage because it happens all the time. Every single time it happens. I've been teaching happens. presentation skills for 20 years. I've never yet seen someone go to the laptop, click on the slides and go, good morning, everybody. What happens is yeah. everybody goes, "No, right, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Ha yeah, uh, always. And so I know better. And so I always say to people, ditch them, get rid of them. And when people try and convince me this is the way forward, I said, but it's not, because the whole point about getting up and talking is human interaction. It is not showing off. Well, that's it. And I think it's important, you know, technology moves on at a pace, even more so now than, than, ever, than ever before. And it's easy just to go, oh, it's all marvellous. Isn't everything wonderful? And, and it's nice to, to, to plug the human into it and our fallibilities and our human brains when butted up against new technology you get resistentialism, the, the, the general the general annoyance. I wonder what the future of it is. Do you think, I mean, I, I would argue that in the digital age, the things have won. We are now enslaved to the things. It's not just that things are annoying. Things have actually enslaved us. Yeah, it, yeah. and you know, if you've got kids and phones and, you know, yeah. how, how are we going to undo it all? <laughs> <laughs> I often think that. I want to, you know, there's part of me that wants to, undo it and just go backwards a bit but of course you can't like you know that it is it is progress isn't it but yeah but 
I've got a 13 year old son, you know, and his whole life is his phone now and, and yeah. he's controlled by it. My father would be yeah. horrified by that. <laughs> I've got a kind of foot in two camps. I mean, I love it. And I, I think technology is amazing and interesting and fascinating. But I definitely have a, uh, a resistentialist camp as well. I'm just wondering if there's a, is there a sort of therapy or something we can do to help people? How do we, how do we, assuming the war has been lost, which I genuinely think it has, I think, I think the, the resistentialists have, the things have won. But how how can we how can we live with it? I suppose. I, well, is my I question. think it's really helpful to know that it's true, and that's absolutely what my dad was all about. Really, is that if you understand that that's happening, at least you can. That helps you, I think. If you say, "Oh yeah," if you really understand that people that things are going to get in your way and they'll do it on purpose, inevitably, you, it gives it enables you to have a sense of humour about it, doesn't it? That's the. That's it. That's the. That's all you have to do is have a sense of humour. Know it's going to happen. You know, he talked to it and say, "Well done. You must be very pleased with that." <laughs> he was yeah. with, but oh, no one was there. I mean, I'm not joking. He did not do it for comic effect. You would hear him talking. <laughs> um, Christy, it's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for coming in. My relationship with technology is your dad is always in the back of my mind, um, and and long may he remain in the back of my mind not in a weird creepy way but in a you know just just there just there well wouldn't it be nice if we could bring him back you know because he would he would have absolutely loved uh talking to you so he well he's here these books these wonderful data storage systems biological data storage systems paper are like kind of fossils of the mind so you can go and pick up paul jennings and chat to him whenever you want thank you so much thank you that's it. I hope you enjoyed that episode. You now have a word to describe the annoyances in your life, a vocabulary that uh, describes the seemingly spiteful behaviour of everyday objects. A huge thanks to Christy for coming on and taking the time to share that wonderful story, a real personal story. I've been a huge fan of Paul's for a long time and I've been wanting to do this episode for a long time. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope uh, you found it interesting. That relationship between humans and the things that we make. We are going to be taking a break from Patented, that is the news. Um, but in the meantime, I thought I would leave you in the capable hands, well, the capable words of Paul Jennings. This is one of his reports on resistentialism. Thank you very much to everybody who supported Patented over the last 18 months. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your company, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Hatred of one's father at Victoria. Clapham, a nightmare of cream-painted plumbing and baths in the sky. Sorrow and angst over the fish in the dining car. Then Dover, looking guiltily northwards at the death of the spirit. After the suicidal W1 milk bars, the red-haired men on the trams, what hearts ease to be in Paris once more, to see the familias Therese, the cyclism the metro, to hear the grand cri sanglote du monde, the insouciant talk of the patisseries, the badinage of the epiceries, and above all, the bubbling creative activity of the little resistentialist cafe, 
where the disciples of Pierre-Marie Ventre meet to discuss this fascinating new philosophy. Listening to Ventre for several evenings, I perceived that Paris still brandishes the sword of European thought, flashing brightly against the dull Philistine sky. Resistentialism is a philosophy of tragic grandeur. It's difficult to give an account of it in textbook English after hearing Ventre's witty aphorisms, but I will try. Resistentialism derives its name from its central thesis that things, res, resist, résister, men. Philosophers have become excited at various times, says Ventre, about psychophysical parallelisms, about idealisms, about the I-thou relation, about pragmatism. All these were, so to speak, pre-atomic philosophies. They were concerned merely with what men think about things. Now, resistentialism is the philosophy of what things think about us. The tragic comic answer after centuries of man's attempt to dominate things is our progressive losing of the battle. Things are against us is the nearest I can get to the untranslatable lucidity of Ventre's profound aphorism, Les choses sont contre nous. Of course, resistentialism represents to some extent a synthesis of previous European thought. The hostility of things has been dimly perceived by other philosophers. Goethe, for example, said that three times has an apple proved fatal, first to the human race in the fall of Adam, secondly to Troy through the gift of Paris, and last of all to science through the fall of Newton's apple. This line was, of course, pursued by Martin Freidegg in his monumental work, and of course Martin Heidensieck, The latter reached the position that man could not control things, but although there are flashes of perception of the actual hostility of things in his later work, it was left to Ventre to make the brilliant jump to the resistentialist concept of the planned, numinous, quasi-intellectual opposition of things as a single force against us. One reason for the appeal of resistentialism to the modern mind is its bridging of the gulf between philosophy and science. Indeed, some of Ventre's followers go so far as to claim that resistentialism is just a transcendental version of modern physics. Some examples do make this clear. For instance, readers of this journal will recall the interesting account that appeared some time ago of the experiments in which pieces of toast and marmalade were dropped on various samples of carpet arranged in order of quality, from coir matting to the finest Kerman rugs. The marmalade downwards incidents were found to vary directly as the quality of the carpet. More recently, researchers in the American field by Noyes and Krangenbacher, two Americans, have involved literally thousands of experiments in which subjects of all ages and sexes sitting in chairs of every conceivable kind dropped various kinds of pencil. In only three cases did the pencil come to rest within their reach. Gonk's hypothesis, formulated by our own Professor Gonk of the Cambridge Trichological Institute, states that a subject who has rubbed a wet shaving brush over his face before applying the cream, cannot, however long and furiously he shakes the brush, 
prevent water from dribbling down his forearm and wetting his sleeve once he starts shaving. Gonk has also, of course, carried out some brilliant research on collar studs, shoelaces, tin openers and the third programme atmospherics. Ventre, however, scorns the false positivism of the scientists with a fussy desire to dominate. Things cannot be dominated. Resistentialism is a tragic philosophy. It sees that man is doomed by things the moment he attempts to achieve anything outside his own mind, which, like Disney's flying mouse, is not a thing at all. To the resistentialist man is no thing, or rather a pseudo-thing. The nearest I can get to Ventre's subtle expression, pseudo-chos. Things are the only reality possessing a power of action in which we can never aspire. The resistentialist ideal is to free man from his tragic destiny of thing-hauntedness by refusing to enter into relation with things. Things always win, and man can only be free from them by not doing anything at all. This brings me to the aesthetics of resistentialism. Readers of this journal are already aware of the profound effects of the new philosophy on art and literature. We've already seen Ventre's play Puit Clos, which expresses resistentialism in a dramatic parable in which three old men walk round ceaselessly at the bottom of a well. There are also some bricks in the well. These symbolise things, and all the old men hate the bricks as much as they do each other. The play is full of their pitiful attempts to throw the bricks out of the top of the well, but they can, of course, never throw high enough, and the bricks always fall back on them. In the musical field, there is already a school of resistentialist composers among the younger men, notably Dufay and Kodak. Recognition of the thingness of musical instruments, the tendency of the French horn to make horrible glubbing noises, the tragic mathematical fact that if music goes at more than a certain critical speed, the friction of the violinist's bow will set fire to the strings, is behind Kodak's interesting symphonietta for horns, trumpets, strings, sousaphones and cymbals without any players. At one of the resistentialist cafes, Agfa, one of the painters in Ventre's entourage, told me that he's contemplating an exhibition of his work in London, and if this bold venture succeeds, it will be a great day for the readers of this journal. But of course, it won't be the same thing as here in Paris, among the insouciant talk of the patisseries, the badinage of the épiceries. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch. Download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play, and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes, or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code Patented at the checkout, you get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.